0: Who your friends are tells a lot about who you are. We don't choose our family, but you usually have a pretty wide choice over your friends, don't you? It's been said that if you want to know who a man is, look at how he spends his time, how he spends his money, and who he surrounds himself with. What would I see if I looked at those three parts of your life? I ask this because after studying Judges chapter 2, I wonder what you see when you look at those three parts of my life. Welcome podcast listeners, this is Steve and you've joined us in our series on the book of Judges. Today we cover chapter two. Let's quickly recap, last week we talked about the dangers of conformity, as John Keating once taught, Dead Poets Society reference there, the dangers of unquestionably conforming to the surrounding culture, emulating those around us, forgetting what God's path is for our lives. This week continues that theme, but where chapter 1 focused on the military victories and the significant lack of victories of Israel. Chapter 2 is going to focus on the state of worship, the state of religion in Israel during this same time period. Remember, we're talking about the beginning of the period of the judges in Israel, just after Joshua's death. The people of Israel are in the land, but are surrounded by Canaanites and other foreign people groups. So it's at this point, um, you know, I just encourage you to hit pause. Take a few seconds. Ask God to prepare your heart and your mind for this week's passage. I promise I will be here when you get back. Go ahead and do that. Okay. Verses 1 to 5 have a messenger of God speaking on behalf of God. Straight out of the gate, we have God reminding his people of something. What? What is he reminding them of? Well, his covenant the Abrahamic and Mosaic covenants. These covenants are agreements which two parties make with one another in the ancient world. Verses 1 and 2. I brought you out of Egypt and led you into the land which I have sworn to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And as for you, you will not make a covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars. So what's going on, he's reminding them of their agreement. And then he points out how they violated that agreement. And it's at this point, uh, we need to go on a quick sidebar. Otherwise, judges isn't going to make much sense. You've heard people say some kind of, of nonsense like this. Um, you'll, you'll hear people say something like, the God of the Old Testament, Okay, he's violent, he's a God of judgment, he's a killer, he's vengeful. Some take this argument even further. And they say, Jesus came to earth, died, and was resurrected in order to save us from this violent, judgmental, unloving God. Think of the implications of that reasoning. Think of what we're accusing God of when we say things like this. That Jesus came to save us from God. What did Jesus come to save us from? I'm not going to answer that question for you right now. Um, I'm going to let you kind of stir and sit with that, maybe grapple with that one a little bit. Um, see if you can answer that question for yourself. What did Jesus come to save us from? It wasn't the Father. It wasn't God. He came to save us from something, though. Um, think about it. We're going to talk about it as we go along, these series of podcasts, but yeah, stir on it for a while. My um, Okay, my experience has been this. The people who make these kinds of accusations against the God of the Old Testament often have, at best, okay, a passing sort of vague knowledge of the Old Testament. They fixate on certain passages, and I, and I can understand why in, in some ways, but they, but they don't seem to understand the ancient culture. They don't understand the language. They don't understand the nature of ancient Near Eastern covenants. Nor do they bother to investigate before making these accusations. And that's what I do have a problem with. Uh, One of my professors, Dr. Uh, Dean Carroll, put it very well. and, And this is what he says. He says, people who say that the God of the Old and the God of the New Testaments are different don't know their Bibles. People who say that the gods of the Old and New Testaments are different don't know their Bible. I agree. I agree, but I'd also say that if that's you and you have the desire, you have the desire to learn why I'm saying that the God we meet in the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament, hopefully today's discussion will shed maybe just a little bit of light on that. And that's why I'm spending so much time here right at the beginning. I want to be sure that we understand what a covenant was. Why so much of what God says and does in Judges, and and really in the Old Testament, must be understood in the context of a covenant relationship with Israel. And by the way, if you're a modern-day Christian, and you don't consider yourself Jewish or of Jewish heritage, are you involved in a covenant relationship with God? What do you think? Short answer for me is absolutely. If you want to understand the fullness of what Christ did for you on the cross, you'd better understand covenants and why you're in a covenant relationship with God, whether you knew it or not. And we'll talk more about that later. But real quick, covenants—covenants covenants were common uh, throughout the ancient Near East during the period of the Old Testament. And we have lots of examples of these: um, the Hittites, the uh, people of Ugarit, the Ugaritic peoples, the Phoenicians. Uh, the Egyptians. Covenant, we have records of covenants from all of these societies. A covenant is essentially an agreement between two parties. Um, these could be two political powers, two households, two individuals. These covenants were, also, were often made between two unequal powers. In other words, you had somebody who was more powerful and someone who was less powerful entering into these agreements. Uh, often not made between equals, though I think you could probably find some examples. But um, A covenant was organized according to a certain formula, which unfortunately, it would take too long to go through piece by piece, this formula. Um, if you're interested in, in that, um, one book I would suggest, or one source, is Dr. Richard Hess. Um, his book called Israelite Religions. Uh, if you pick that up, you can get it from the library, uh, get it from uh, interlibrary loan. Um, excellent resource, and that'll that lays out very clearly, I think, um, what a covenant is and, and some examples of ancient Near Eastern covenants. But what you, all you need to, to know for now, look, all you need to know right now is that a covenant contained blessings. So, if the less powerful of the two parties fulfilled its end of the bargain, there were tangible benefits. Blessings, which the more powerful party would give. And these wouldn't just be supernatural blessings. For example, the leader of the more powerful party um, might dedicate a prayer to his gods on behalf of the lesser party. Um, But they were also more practical benefits as well, um, such as military support, financial assistance, things like this. But here's the thing. With these blessings also come curses, If the lesser party fails to live up to its end of the bargain of the covenant, then the more powerful party is obligated, listen, obligated under the terms of the covenant to penalize the lesser party. Remember, this is the legally binding agreement we're talking about. So when the law is given to Moses, it is written in the standard covenant format. We're going to talk more about this in chapter 3 and, and throughout Judges, um, but to conclude this really long sidebar, um, I apologize for that, but I want you to understand that the Israelites and God have entered into a legally binding agreement. And when the less powerful party, which here would be the Israelites, screw up and violate the covenant by worshiping other gods in chapter 2, God is legally bound and obligated to abide by the curses outlined in the covenant. So sometimes when we see God allowing suffering, allowing pain and loss to come over the Israelites, this didn't just come out of nowhere. It's in accordance with the covenant. Okay, keep this discussion in mind. Let's move on. Verse 6 begins what we call a disjunctive syntax. Okay, disjunctive syntax. All that means is that the author is not keeping to a strict chronological timeline. Remember, we saw this in chapter 1 already. Uh, We were talking about one thing, but now we're talking about something else. And and the author in Judges is recapping the state of worship of God while Joshua was alive. This is beginning in verse 6. And what happened once Joshua died? In verse 9, for example, we're, we're reminded that Joshua died and was buried. In verse 10, he tells us that the next generation comes along but has forgotten God. Verse 11, they neglect Israel's covenant with God. They begin to pay homage and worship the gods surrounding them. Baal was the name of a prominent Canaanite god, um, usually viewed as one of several in a pantheon or a multitude of Canaanite gods. When we see Baal in the plural, um, it can be used sort of generically for all of the Canaanite gods, which we see there in verse 12. Um, Two grammatical notes which are going to help us understand chapter 2. First off, there's a chiasm here between verses 11 and 13. So verses 11, 12, and 13. Uh, If you're not familiar with what that is, a chiasm is a literary device uh, where you repeat certain phrases or themes and and you organize this repetition in such, such a way that you sandwich in the middle, your primary emphasis—it's it's sort of sandwiched in the middle of these other themes. It's a little difficult to, to explain with just audio. I'm realizing. <laughs> um, if you're at your computer, you may want to pause me, uh, do a quick Google search on a chiasm. Um, it's easier to see an example than it is for me to talk about it. But otherwise, uh, the middle of this chiasm, the author's emphasis um, here in Judges 11 to thir- verses 11 to 13. Is that the Israelites are now following other gods? This is what the point that the author is trying to drive home to us. Israel is following other gods. So that's one note. The second note involves the covenant given in Exodus chapter 20. Uh, in Exodus 20, verse 5, God tells Israel that they shall not worship or serve other gods. But if we were to translate the Hebrew of, of Exodus more precisely, What it should really say is, you shall not be made to serve other gods. Do you hear the difference? You shall not worship or serve other gods as opposed to, you shall not be made to serve other gods. In other words, you shall not be influenced by these other gods. It's more of a passive sense. Well, because they're living in this place, surrounded by these other people groups that worship other gods, What's happened in Judges chapter 2 is that they've allowed themselves to be influenced by the worship of these other gods. And in that way, they have violated God's law and God's covenant with them. So what does God do? Verse 14. He gives them over to plunderers, to their enemies, uh, to people causing them harm. Why does he do this? Well, we've already said because the covenant demands it. The consequence given in the law for Israel worshiping other gods, serving the gods of other people, is that God removes his protection against their enemies. Which is exactly what we see. Verse 15. Just as Yahweh had said, and just as Yahweh had sworn to them, and they were exceedingly imperiled. So, paraphrase, they're in huge trouble. And What happens next is one of the many reasons why I say it is wrong for us to ascribe a lack of mercy to, or a lack of compassion to our God in the Old Testament. Look at verse 16. But Yahweh rose up judges, we have title, that's not really in the scriptures, who delivered them from the hand of those plundering them. God has abided by the requirements of the covenant, he's punished them, but now look at what he's doing. Now he's looking for a way to help his people out. Verse 18, he heard their groaning. He has compassion on them on account of their groaning. He sees they're in trouble and and he wants to do something to get them out of this. So we end chapter 2 with a summary of the situation. God is going to allow these enemies of Israel to torment them and to cause trouble for them. Verse 22, to test Israel are they going to take my help and return to the covenant which i have with them or are they determined to do their own thing what what is this that's in their heart i'm going to test that i'm going to find out where their loyalty really lies will they allow themselves to be influenced by the cultures around them or are they made of stronger stuff and of course here's where we come in right and we're starting to relate to this now um, under the new covenant with God which we are now part of. It's not hear me on this. It's not always straightforward what parts of our culture are harmless and what parts of our culture are corrupting or are going to lead us away from from God. At least in our society, you know, here in North America, the western, you know, western part of the world, our false gods aren't always as easy to identify as the Canaanite ones were. Right? And I actually think that's an important point. I seem to remember a lot of sermons um, preaching about the dangers of being, you know, quote, of the world, in the world but not of the world. You've heard that before. Um, but unless I'm Amish or Quaker, or, you know, that's not always so easy to define, I don't think. I, I do think there's a lot of gray in that. How do we know? But then for all the examples I can think of that fit into this sort of gray area, there are plenty that are much easier to discern. And that's why I don't want to be stupid about that. When it comes to our language, our sexuality, what we choose to expose ourselves to in terms of media, you know, internet, books, so on, um, especially the internet, my goodness. A lot of times we know, we know, don't we, we're heading down a road that could lead us away from God and away from the path he has set out for us. Uh, And we're going to see that theme play out through the remainder of Judges and uh, we're going to Get to see firsthand just where that road leads the Israelites. So that said, um, we'll see you soon in chapter 3. And man, chapter 3 is a fun one. So um, I look forward to, to sharing that with you. Shalom, we'll talk to you soon.